How are you out there? I hear laughter and chatter, praise God. It's a good thing, amen? Have the joy of the Lord in the camp. Well, we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're going to bite off another piece of chapter 4 tonight. I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Paul's continuing to do what he does and strengthening his apostolic office, establishing his authority in the church. He's giving them good theology and just uh, strengthening the body of Christ. How many know the way to strengthen our spiritual walk is to fill ourselves with the Word? You know, back then the Word of God was coming alive, flowing through those that God put his hand on to speak scripture through. Paul's one of those guys. And so he's not just having a conversation, not just preaching a sermon, but through the unction of the Holy Spirit, God is actually breathing scripture through him. And he's teaching that to the churches. It's real-time action. It's real-time. It's not leftover. It's not from the past. This is living, breathing revelation. And it's still alive for us to enjoy today, amen. You know, the Bible's not a book. It's not just a textbook or a history book or a theology book. It's a living, breathing, it's alive and from cover to cover it's revealing Jesus Christ to us, amen. You know, you can read a scripture 10 times and 10 different times the Holy Spirit can show you another facet of it. That's amazing about the word of God, amen. Uh, you know, as a pastor, you know, you think, I've been preaching since I'm 14, you think maybe I'd run out of material, but no. It, it, there's lifetimes, lifetimes in there, amen. So, Father, thank you for the word tonight. Thank you for uh, the, the Holy Spirit who opens up the word to us. Holy Spirit, quicken our hearts and our minds and our understanding so, uh, Father, the word would get past our minds and into our hearts and into our spirits tonight. We pray that each of us would take something home from you. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start in verse 7 of chapter 4, and it says this, But we have this treasure in earthen containers, or earthen vessels, the King James says, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us but life in you. Interesting little twist there in verse 12. We're going to unpack at some point, but I want you to listen to those verses one more time now that you read along with me. Close your eyes and just let it penetrate your spirit. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Listen to verse 10. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death because of Jesus 
so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. Paul's continuing here to strengthen the church. He's continuing to strengthen his apostolic legitimacy because there were those that questioned his ability to, uh, you know, be who he was, and they were challenging him. And so there's a little bit of both going on throughout the entire part of 2 Corinthians here. And we're talking about spiritual authority here. And Paul's establishing his own authority, but you and I as believers have spiritual authority. Amen. All right, let me try that again. And... And the people who said amen, you don't get to say amen. I want to see if anybody else says it. You and I as believers have spiritual authority. Amen. Amen. And if you don't know that, you need to know that because the time is upon us that we can't be weak and we can't be shrinking back anymore. We have to walk in our authority. Paul was walking his apostolic authority. And here's the thing. The best way for believers to prove that they have spiritual authority is to exercise that spiritual authority under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You, you don't just say, I have authority. I'm in charge. I'm this. I'm the, I'm the head and not the tail. I'm the, uh. a lot of words, a lot of talk. But where the rubber hits the road is when we exercise that authority and God shows up and manifests himself and does spiritual exploits through us because we've dared to step out in faith and exercise the authority that scripture says we have. So the best way to prove you have spiritual authority is to use your spiritual authority. But make sure you do it under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Getting that? Oh, I'm going to go out and cast out some devils today. Maybe God doesn't have any devils for you to cast out today. Don't look for devils. Walk in your authority, and when God prompts you through the Holy Spirit, use it. Ramp up your faith. Ramp up your prayer life. Ramp up your boldness. Preach the gospel. Look for signs and wonders to happen around you. Look for those divine appointments. Paul's not just saying, I'm this and I'm that, and here's my degree, and look at the paper. He's actually using his spiritual authority. It's producing fruit in every way, and it's impossible to argue with results. Two people can argue about healing all they want. One Christian says God doesn't heal. The other Christian says God does heal. But when you lay hands on somebody and God heals them, the argument's over. (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm I'm going home. Isn't the proof in the pudding? Isn't it time we stop talking and and start getting into the action of the kingdom? Amen. Amen. So I was excited about all that. Hope you're getting on board. Spiritual authority doesn't come from a title. It doesn't come from an office. It doesn't come from a diploma. It doesn't come via a church board vote. Oh, we elected you. We put you. We installed you. You and I can't elect or vote for or install anything that God hasn't ordained, that God hasn't equipped, that God hasn't anointed. So, uh, you know, I reiterate these things. It doesn't come from your degree or your diploma or your Bible school certificate. It's not, you know, the the office on your door says X, Y, and Z. But the truth is, uh, it comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from the fruit of the ministry that's produced in our lives, and it validates us, and it shows that we don't just have words, but we have action because God is actually with us. And that's what Paul's doing in everything 
thing that he does with his ministry. Matthew 11, 3 through 5, uh, Jesus illustrates this exact point in how he answers John the Baptist's disciple. You know, John uh, baptized Jesus. He, sh- he was in prison at the time, but he should have known Jesus was the Messiah. Yet he sends his disciples to ask if Jesus is the one. And it says to him, and he said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? At this point, even John and his disciples are still not settled. That blows my mind. So are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, listen, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. What is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus saying the proof is in the fruit of my life. I'm not just running around saying I'm the Messiah, I'm the Messiah. I'm doing all these works here. I'm healing the sick. I'm raising the dead. I'm preaching the gospel. Go tell John. The proof is in the pudding. The actions are evident in my life. The anointing's evident in my life. It's not just words. Verse 7 is a beautiful reference to the believer being filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. What, what, What treasure is that? The treasure of the precious Holy Spirit. See, this is so significant that we understand this and that we understand how uh, incredible it is that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and have the indwelling of God in us. No one in the Old Testament experienced what New Testament Christians experience when they get born again. Moses wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. David wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. None of the prophets were filled with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost in the Old Testament came upon people for a specific duration, for a specific purpose to do something specific, and then he withdrew himself. Yet you and I are filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus on the cross broke the power of sin and settled the issue of sin. So now we can be filled with the Spirit of God. Where in the Old Testament, sin wasn't dealt with, so God couldn't fill a sinful vessel. But positionally, you and I in Christ are not sin sinners anymore. We're saints. Amen. We're born again. We're redeemed. And so the Spirit can fill us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. You know... We can just read that, and it's common to us. We've heard it before. But I I want us to just to fixate on that little phrase here for a second. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This is exactly the way you and I need to see the Holy Spirit as a treasure. The Holy Spirit is a treasure. If you had a treasure, if you had something that was, you know, beyond worth, like you couldn't even put a price tag on it, would you just throw it on the floor? Would you just ignore it? Would you just kick it behind your refrigerator? No. When something's a treasure, you you protect it and you preserve it because it has so much worth. And that's exactly how we need to see the Holy Spirit. He is a treasure to us. He's our comforter, our counselor, our teacher. He's the one who leads and guides us into all truth. He convicts us and corrects us. He transforms us into the image of Christ. Anybody appreciate the Holy Spirit? Amen. Some people had a hard day, I guess, today. 
But the Holy Spirit's a treasure to us. So treat him like a treasure. Don't throw him in a corner. Don't ignore him. Don't act like, you know, he's only for Sunday and then every Wednesday once in a while. No, the Holy Spirit, the, the third person of the Trinity, a part of the Godhead is all these things to us. He wants to comfort, wants to counsel, wants to teach, wants to lead us into all truth. Christians have no business being ignorant. Christians have no business being confused about the signs of the times. Christians shouldn't be, you know, ignorant of the word. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit who wants to teach us. Do you know why some of us still don't know nothing? Because we don't want to learn. And we ignore the still small voice and we listen to the screaming loud voice of our flesh. And it drowns out the Holy Spirit. So we've got to see him as a treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We, we have the Holy Spirit in us. The second half of verse 7 is incredible. It says, so that the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. Part of why God has filled us with the Holy Spirit is so we could do uh, amazing things for the kingdom of God, do exploits for God. But when we do, it's not us doing it. It's the Holy Spirit in us doing it. Amen. So we can't take the credit. <laughs> oh, did you see what I did? Did you see what, the sermon I preached? Did you see the people I led to the Lord? Did you see the church I built? Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. No. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit in us. That's exactly the extraordinary greatness of the power will be of God. See, God gets the glory for that, not from ourselves. The fact that we're filled with the Spirit of God and, and, and in Him we live and move and have our being and everything that's produced out of us spiritually is produced by the Holy Spirit. That means we have to give all the glory to God in everything we do in life, for everything we have in life, for every blessing uh, th that's you know, given to us, for every fruit that's produced in and through us. All of the glory of that belongs to God. Why? Because it's not ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit in us. Oh, pastor, what a great sermon. Glory to God. Oh, pastor, you know, that, that, those songs tonight, they, they were good. You guys hit a couple right notes and sang the same words, and it was, you know, we really liked it. Glory to God. <laughs> oh, pastor, what a great churchful gospel center is. Glory to God. You see, every time someone, you know, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, we can't accept a compliment or get some encouragement. How many people like to be encouraged? Amen. Let me raise my hand. Amen. You know, we all need encouragement. And if you say, oh, I don't need anybody to encourage me, you're, you're lying. Nobody wants to walk around doing their best and doing a great job and everybody just ignores them. No, we need encouragement from each other. Part of the family of God, fellowship of the unashamed. So we, we need encouragement, but we've got to be very careful not to take the credit for what God's doing in and through us. There's a fine line there between us taking the credit and trying to steal the glory and us just saying glory to God. Amen. And it's a mindset too, because listen, if you're doing good and you're producing fruit and everybody's singing your praises, you might start to believe your own press. Ooh, Gucci, I'm pretty special. My mother was right. I am handsome and everyone likes me. You know, you got to be careful with that. The, the, the closer you get to the Lord and the more obedient you get, the more amazing the things that God's going to do through your life. But be careful. 
because when God does amazing things with people, they have to remain balanced. Otherwise, they might try to take the glory. Listen, God does not handle glory stealers with much grace. You know, people who need to get the credit, people who, who, who try to steal the glory, people who try to make it about themselves and not about God, they become very unhappy people because that's a shallow way to operate in the kingdom of God. Come on, give me an amen. amen. They'll find themselves, you know, getting caught up in their own attitude and their own ego and their own opinion of themselves, and eventually they'll get sucked into the idolatry of worshiping self. Yeah, I said it. Self is an idol. And so, oh, I did this and I did that and I read my Bible and I read 52 chapters and I prayed for three hours today. Glory to you. <laughs> but be careful because puff yourself up like that and you'll become an idol worshiper worshiping the idol of self. Listen to what Isaiah 42, 8 says. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another nor my praise to idols. Come on, that's what God's saying here through the prophet Isaiah. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another. God doesn't share glory. It's not, you know, well, it was, it was a joint effort, me and God, 50-50. No, he says, I will not give my praise to idols. What, what's the implication of that? Well, when I make myself an idol by taking the glory from myself and making it about myself, I become an idol. And God says, oh, no, 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 no. I won't share my glory with idols. Verse, verses 8 through 12 here uh, is Paul just painting some beautiful word pictures of what it costs to be an apostle and how the cost of being an apostle, he wanted the people to know it was a high cost and it was more of a cost than just to be a normal everyday believer, to be in leadership at that level, to be an apostle the way Paul was, the greatest apostle that ever lived, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, re revolutionized the gospel and bringing it to the Gentiles. Amen. If there was any reason for anyone to be puffed up about themselves, it was Paul, yet he was humble. And he wanted the people to know that, you know, because he was in this place of leadership, it, it was, you know, a difficult place to be. He says this about him and his companions. We are afflicted in every way. Did you hear that? Every way. Afflicted. How many of us, you know, we have an affliction here, an affliction there, but the majority of things in our lives are pretty good. Amen. If you didn't raise your hand, I pray everything go. No. <laughs> we are afflicted in every way, Paul's saying. And what does he mean? Him and his ministry team, his companions, those who are out on the tip of the spear, uh, preaching the gospel, doing the missionary journeys. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. So he, he's given these illustrations here. But what, what is he trying to say? He's trying to show this principle that to be a leader is not an easy thing to endure. So all of us are leaders in some way. All of us are gifted in some way and have a call of God on our lives. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm called of God. I have a call of God on my life. It's trailing off. And the thing is about all of us having some 
type of leadership, whether it's in our home, whether it's in our family, whether it's in the, the church or the ministry or our office, you know, understand something about leaders. Leaders are judged harder. Listen to this, by God. Did you hear what I just said? Leaders are judged harder by God. The judgment for leaders will be strict. Why? Because to whom much is given, much is required. And, and if God gives you a dynamite anointing and a, and a huge opportunity to do kingdom things, you know, you have to walk a very tight line on a very short leash. So leadership, all of us have some capacity of it. You know, they'll be judged harder by God. Leaders are attacked harder by devils. Don't ever look at a leader who falls from grace or gets caught up in sin or embarrasses themselves publicly and say, oh, I would never do that. Different levels, more devils. The higher you go up the food chain in the kingdom, the more the enemy assigns legions to attack you, to tempt you, to confuse you, to derail you, to exploit your weaknesses. Well, it's quiet Wednesday night. So leaders are judged harder. They're attacked harder. They're scrutinized and criticized harder by both the world and the church. <laughs> When you're a Christian, you get criticized by the church, you get criticized by the world, but when you're a leader, it's even worse. I'll just move on tonight. Everybody's sitting out there going, I never want to be in leadership. <laughs> it's too late. God's got you in some position of leadership. Uh, I pray the Holy Spirit shows it to you. But Paul humbly wanted the sheep to know that he and those with him, as well as the other apostles, were suffering constant resistance and hardships for the sake of the gospel. What these guys were going through, all the apostles were martyred except for John. Judas went his way, but all the other ones that, you know, after Jesus commissioned them and, and, and ascended into heaven, every one of them but John was martyred. And John was boiled in oil and it didn't kill him. How'd you like that? And then they put him on the Isle of Patmos in, in you know, isolation and destitution, and they just put him out there to die, and God gave him the revelation of Jesus Christ. He, he, he penned the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos. He, he had a purpose for still living, but every other one of them was martyred. And not a nice little death, you know. They didn't just give him a pill or an injection. If you study this stuff, you know, these guys paid a high cost. Paul wanted them to know there was a high cost to pay for being in leadership, and he was paying that cost, and it was, in a way, a proof of his leadership. Those who questioned the validity of Paul's apostolic calling needed to know that he was paying the cost of leadership, and they were taking shots at him from the peanut gallery, and they weren't taking all the heat. You know, there's always a peanut gallery to comment upon your life. It's always the people who are sitting back, fat, dumb, and happy, doing nothing, that got something to say about the Christians who are actually advancing the kingdom, preaching the gospel, doing the work of the ministry. Come on, Wednesday night. You ever notice that? You do something for the Lord. You, you, you reach out. You witness to people. You do a Bible study. Everybody wants to attack you. Christians and non-Christians alike. And it's that high profile of being a leader. We, we're susceptible to the attack. We're judged harder. We're attacked harder. We're scrutinized and criticized harder. And that's 
part of the cost of leadership. Yet the peanut gallery who does nothing always has something to say. So if you're being attacked and criticized and people are talking behind your back, thank God that you are high profile enough and doing enough damage to the kingdom of darkness that people have to open their mouths and speak against you tonight. Amen. Verses 8 through 9 give us four examples of the balance that is in the life of a Christian between hardship and grace. See, what you're going to see here in these examples that Paul gives is that there, there's always hardship in our lives. There's always trials in our lives. There, there's always problems in life. But at the same time, there's always grace and God's goodness and God's mercy. The, the, a preacher used an illustration one time. He's, a, he's like, you know, Christians want to wait until everything's going good in their life and they got no problems and then feel like they're blessed and, and everything's good. So they, they strive to get to that place. But life's not like that. It's more like train tracks. There's two parallel rails running in the same direction. One of them is hardship and trial and tribulation and the other one is grace and mercy. And they run parallel. That means you're never going to go, oh, it's, everything's good now. It's all going my way. I got no problems. No, nobody's after me. No, there's always going to be that. It's a balance. So don't wait until that day when everything's perfect to decide you're going to be, you know, have joy and have peace. And no, no, take it now. Possess it now. Amen. Because until we get to heaven, we're always going to have problems. We're always going to deal with difficult people. But at the same time, there's grace and there's mercy on the other side to balance it. So, yes, it's hard to serve God in this fallen world, but God's grace is more than enough to get us through. Jesus is more than enough. He's worth it, amen? This light affliction that we suffer now, the, these trials, these tribulations that we suffer now, they're not to be compared to the weight of eternal glory, Paul said, amen? The payoff is going to be so much more. Listen to me tonight. You might be going through uh, the whirlwind, but the payoff in eternity is going to be so much better. I've never been to heaven, but I can guarantee you there's nobody up there going, this was a jip. I got ripped off. I want to talk to the manager. I don't think so. They're, they're like, I, I guarantee that everybody's up there. I wish I did more for Jesus. I wish I laid more. I wish I didn't waste my time. I wish I, I just was kingdom, kingdom, the call above all. Amen? But there's nobody in heaven go, this is a ripoff. Four examples of the balance between grace and hardship. Number one, he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Did you hear that? Yeah, we're afflicted, but it's more like an annoyance. It's more like, you know, when you're outside and it's hot and there's gnats around you. That's the way the devil is. He's just a little annoyance. He's like a gnat, you know, you smack him. My wife will see me outside mowing the grass, hitting myself in the head. She's like, there he goes again. But, you know, that's the way the enemy is. He's, he's, he's an annoyance. So we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. You see, God preserves us. He protects us. He puts a limit on what the enemy can do in our lives. He puts a limit on what the enemy can touch in your life. 
said we're perplexed but not despairing. Maybe we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. We don't know how this is going to work out or how this is going to end. We're perplexed. What's going on with our nation? What's going on with the government? What's going on on the world stage? You know, when is Jesus coming back? All of these things that could perplex us that we might not have the answer to. But even though we don't have all the answers, we don't despair. Why? Because we don't know everything and we don't know all all of the future, but we know who holds our future and we know who holds us in the palm of his hand. Amen. So we might not have all the answers, but we're not despairing. Why? Because we know Jesus and he's got all the answers. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. You see that? Even in the worst persecution, even if everyone turns on you, even if your mom don't like you anymore, God will never abandon you. God will never cut you off. The only one who tasted of that was Jesus. Jesus was on the cross and he became sin. And the father had a disconnect for the first time from the son. And Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in pain? Why? Because for the first time ever disconnected from the father. And he cried out. Jesus felt that disconnection, that abandonment, that rejection, so that you and I never have to. Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Struck down, but not destroyed. Yep, I get knocked on my butt every once in a while. Yep, sometimes I'm flat on my back. But you know what? God always picks me up and dusts me off and calls me his own and puts a robe on me, and puts a ring on my finger, and kills a fatted calf. Come on, that's the God we serve, amen? Christians are not people that never get knocked down. Don't be embarrassed. Oh, I got knocked down. I got, I got in the flesh. I made a fool of myself. It's okay. I mean, don't do it on purpose. But God's well able to pick us up. Struck down but not destroyed. I, I love these, man. We, we, should, we should meditate on these. All the afflicted but not crushed. Perplexed but not destroyed. There's so many treasures in there. But all of it proves what? The hardship and the grace running simultaneously in our lives. And there's a balance there. You know, and, and seeing every one of these, the balance. And don't, if you're afflicted, if you're perplexed, if you're persecuted, if you're struck down, realize there's another part of the equation. It's the grace of God. And he's got you. Verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, say dying, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Without death in our flesh, we can never walk in the fullness of the resurrection power. Without the death of our flesh, we can never walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, the seed of God is in us, but the thing that inhibits him from working through us is the flesh. So the flesh needs to be dealt with, and so there needs to be a constant dying in our lives. You might not like to think of it this way, but every day we get up, we need to crucify our flesh. Well, I crucified it yesterday. How many times do I got to crucify this thing? Every day. Every day, hopefully less and less every day, hopefully not the same part, the same issue, the same thing over and over every day, but maybe, well, how long do I got to do this until it works, until we learn to be more than conquerors, until we learn to be overcomers, 
There's things that I struggled with as a young man that I don't struggle with now. There's things that I wrestled with as a young Christian that I don't wrestle with now. I got new things to wrestle with now. <laughs> Amen? That's like I said, higher levels, higher devils, right? You, just, you know, I don't deal with that anymore. That doesn't bother me anymore. That, that can't trick me anymore. But, but there's more challenges. And what is that? That's the perfecting of us through the, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit as he allows us to face off with the flesh and learn to crucify it every day. Hmm. A Christian that gets up and just stays in the flesh all day and doesn't war against it is a Christian that is not growing and is not pleasing to the Lord. The dying of Jesus, yeah, he died so that we could live, but the life of Jesus is revealed in our body. What does that mean? Everybody wants resurrection power, but nobody wants to die. We've got to want to die. Nobody's coming back next week. We've got to want to die to our flesh. We've got to want to die to our own agenda. We've got to want to die to our sin. You know, we'll never overcome sin until we despise it. If you have a sin that is a pet sin in your life and you really like it, let, let's be honest, some sins we just really like. Nobody's right. Thanks, John. <laughs> Do you like just you, just you. No, there's some sins that we have an affinity for. We really like it. And if we're being honest, you know, I like this sin. I like to gossip. I like to be angry. I like to, you know, I, I like to go into a rage. I like to see everybody go. <laughs> we like certain sins. Our flesh has an affinity for them. But until we hate that sin and see it for what it really is and despise it, we're not going to be able to crucify it. It's kind of like Isaac, you know. Abraham loved God enough to throw Isaac on the altar. But if he was unwilling to do that, he was unworthy of the calling that God put on his life. So we've got to despise our sin to the point where we're willing to crucify it. We've got to embrace the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in us and that we can have resurrection power. We can't have resurrection power without the death of the flesh. We're never going to get it 100% perfect. But by the grace of God, we're a lot better than we started. Someone say amen. 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 He's perfecting us. Verse 11 amplifies the point of verse 10, driving home the concept of death and life. Both, uh, you know, both death and life have a purpose and a place in the life of a New Testament believer. You would think, no, 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 it's just life, resurrection power, newness of life. No, but death has a place in our lives too. That's why we go through stuff, because we won't let go of things, and God has to come and kill them for us. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death. Wow, happy, happy, joy, joy. <laughs> Paul must have been a lot of fun at parties, huh? He's basically saying, me and my team, and we're out here, and there's affliction, and there's trial, and there's pushback, and, and, it's, and it's difficult. But, you know, this is the lot that we have as believers living in a fallen world. For we who live are constantly being handed over to death. Listen, because of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our mortal flesh. There it is. 11 reiterates verse 10 and strengthens it. Have you, you know, listen to what he says here. Um, 
we're handed over to death. We're constantly being handed over to death so the life of Jesus can be revealed in our flesh. So that constantly being handed over to death, you know, what that feels like is, have you ever felt like, you know, man, it's one thing after another in my life? Has anyone ever felt like that? You know, they say, they, they describe it like this, when it rains, it pours. Have you ever been through a season like that? It's like, you know, out of the frying pan and into the fire. You're thinking, I can't wait to get out of this frying pan until I'm in the fire. You know, it gets, sometimes it goes from bad to worse. And, and a lot of times as Christians, we're like, what in the world is going on? It's God perfecting us. And Paul describes it in this way. We're constantly being handed over. God, why don't you give me a break? Why don't you tell the enemy to lay off? Why, why, why doesn't this stop? Because some of us need more work than others. Some of us are a little, a little more stubborn than others. You know, in a lot of ways, we determine how long it's going to take and how hot it needs to get. You know, stiffen up your neck and go, I'm not going to submit. God will turn up the heat. Amen? He, he knows how to break us. We need to lay it down. We're either going to, you know, go kicking and screaming or we're going to just submit. But either way, God's going to have his way in our lives because we belong to him. So when you feel like, man, it's just one thing after another, it's just, you know, constant barrage. I get through one thing, I'm hit with another thing. Realize God's perfecting you. The people who are living ungodly lives, you know, in, in folly and all kinds of, you know, riotous living, they seem to have no problems at all because the enemy's just got them and so he doesn't bother with them. And they don't belong to God, so the wrath of God's revealed against them, but they're in their own little bubble of pleasure headed for eternity without Christ. So when you feel like it's one thing after another, realize it's God allowing the enemy to sift us so that he can conform us to the image of Christ. I think so many times we increase our own drama and frustration in life by trying to keep things alive that God is trying to put to death in us. You know, look at what it says here. Uh, you know, that what? We're being handed over. Why? Because of the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us. God's trying to kill some things in us so that he can remove them and replace them with the living things that come from Jesus. Amen? Yeah, what are we doing? We're trying, to, we're trying to revive the thing that God's trying to kill. We're fighting. We're saying, no, 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 no. I like that. That's mine. That's mine. I, I don't want to let that go. We increase our drama and our trouble and our frustration. You know, when you and I need to be spiritually perceptive enough to realize when God's putting his finger on something, we got to say, I surrender. Hallelujah. I give up. Universal sign of surrender right here. Learn this in the Italian army. <laughs> you know, but if we're trying to keep things alive that God's trying to put to death... We're going to have a time. In subtle ways, all of us are still trying to save our own lives. Remember what the scripture says? Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must... Couldn't say it. He must deny himself. Oh, the D word. 
Take up his cross and follow me. Listen, 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Are we hearing this? I'm doing my thing. I'm living my best life. I'm, I'm accomplishing my agenda. I'm, I'm having a time. Are we trying to save our lives? Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, there's the caveat, will find it. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? Now, for those of us who are born again, our souls aren't on the line because God has redeemed them and we're born again and he's got us and he can keep us and he's going to take care of us. But there again, if we're trying to keep things alive that God's trying to put to death and, and we're having all of these issues of trying to, you know, it's like, Jesus, I give you my life. And, and we, 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 we bow down and we cry some tears and we get up on a Monday, we're doing our own thing again. In many subtle ways. And I say subtle because, you know what, we need the Holy Spirit to reveal it to us. Sometimes we don't even realize we're doing it. I'm just trying to do my thing. I'm just trying to, you know, get this done. I got stuff to do, God. And God's like, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked you to do this. You're doing that, and you're not doing this. Why am I frustrated? Why is it hard? Why does nothing ever go my way? <laughs> I used to work with a guy doing construction, framing, and, and he used to get angry every day and yell, nothing ever goes my way. And his name was Fred. And I said, Fred, if you stop saying that, maybe we would get something to go our way because I'm tired of working with you. <laughs> Things don't go our way sometimes because we're doing our own thing, still trying to save our lives. Now, I pray that each of us would allow the Holy Spirit to show us the places where we're still trying to save our lives. Because you know what? None of us are immune to this. I know there's things in my life when I start to get frustrated and nothing's going right, I have to look, is this my thing or God's thing? Did I say, yes, Jesus, you're Lord, be Lord in my life, and then I went right back out to doing my own thing? Wow. In verse 12, Paul, you know, makes this interesting point as he differentiates between the purpose and the cost of his calling. You know, and he's, he's basically saying, you know, what, what it's costing me to be an apostle is a little bit different than what it's costing you guys in the Corinthian church as rank and file believers to serve God. Now, I want, I want you to see this here. You know, the leaders and, and, the, and the founding fathers and all the patriarchs in the Old Testament, they paid a high cost. The Abrahams, the Isaacs, the Jacobs, Amen. They paid a high cost that the normal Israelite didn't, and it's the same principle here in the New Testament. The rank-and-file believer who's saved and placed in the church and you know, has gifts and all this stuff is different than someone like the Apostle Paul who had a high call on his life that demanded a, a, a real high level of submission. And he kind of wanted them to see the difference. Why? Because he's trying to reiterate his apostolic authority, and he also wants them to know what the cost of leadership is. So it says here, so death works in us, but life in you. Now, we need to define the us and the you. When Paul says death works in us, he's talking about those in his inner circle, those who are apostles, those who are part of the evangelistic ministry outfit, outfit that, that was out there preaching the gospel. They were on the cutting edge, the tip of the spear of ministry. And what? Paul says, you know, 
Basically, death works in us. He's saying, we're facing all this resistance, but life in you. And, and here's the point here. You and I need to get a sense of the fact that everything we endure for the gospel's sake, everything we suffer for the kingdom's sake, everything we do to advance the gospel, none of it ever, ever, ever is a waste. It is producing fruit on many levels. What you, and I for, what you and I as individuals do for Jesus will benefit our children. When your children see you answer the call of God in your life and live a godly life, and even when you mess up, you repent, and you, you know, no matter how tough it gets or how busy you get, you put God first, and you go to church, and you read the Word, and you pray. and he, Listen, that's going to benefit your children. So everything you and I do for Jesus will benefit our children. Everything you and I do for Jesus will benefit the church. Paul had a really acute sense of the fact that what he was doing wasn't just, you know, some silly mission that God gave him. He was laying the foundation for the New Testament church as a pillar in the church. And, and I'm sure even though he had a sense of it, he had no idea the incredible impact God would make with his life. Everything you and I do for the kingdom that the Lord has called us to do, when we do it in obedience, it will benefit the church. What you and I do for Jesus will benefit the weak and the lost and the broken. You know, there's a world out there of broken people. And when you and I answer the call and put the call above all, broken people get put back together. You and I answer the call we're going to benefit the lost we're going to benefit the broken we're going to benefit the weak there are weak people in the church they're weak in faith they're weak in resilience they're weak in conviction and when you and i live the gospel and you and i grow in the lord and 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 refuse to touch the unclean thing and come out and be separate we serve as an example to the weak in the church and every time we do it's not a waste. What we do for Jesus will benefit our children, benefit the church, benefit the broken, benefit the lost, benefit the weak. But you know what? In the final analysis, everything we do for Jesus will benefit us for all eternity. What you're doing for the kingdom, how you're laying your life down, how you're facing hardship and adversity will pay off in heaven because God sees all of and there's a reward attached to every act of obedience. So death works in us, but life in you. Paul understood everything he endured for the kingdom's sake, had a purpose, and produced fruit. And you and I should understand the same thing because with that perspective, we can get up every day and do our best for God because we know as time runs out, Eternity looms large, and you and I are not working for anything in this kingdom, but for the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Come on, let's give him praise tonight. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for 2 Corinthians. We thank you for this church of uh, rough people. Boy, our generation matches up well with the Corinthian church. And so we pray that these principles that are relevant to us would come alive to us. We thank you uh, for reminding us that the Holy Spirit is a precious gift to us. Holy Spirit, 
move in our lives and get our attention and, and speak to us and guide us. Work in and through us. You're a treasure to us, a precious gift. May we remember that every minute of the day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.